0: In his wonderful book The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote these words: quote, "There are two equal and opposite errors into which the human race can fall, about the devil and demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe And to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. This morning we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. Encountering a man who is infested with demons. After calmly calming a raging storm. Jesus calms a restless storm raging within a helpless man who is held in bondage by the devil himself. And so it's fitting that we're we're looking at perhaps the scariest passage in the whole Bible on October 31st. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to Luke chapter eight. We're going to be looking at a very familiar passage, but a passage that I pray will help each one of us praise God, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption this morning, the forgiveness of all of our sins. Look at Luke chapter eight, beginning in verse 26. If you're using the pew Bible, you can find this on page 865. You will be far less bored if you have a Bible open as we read through the passage together. This is what Holy Scripture says. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on dry land, there he met him, a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out. And fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And then they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him, To let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled. And told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. So he got into a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This morning, the outline is pretty simple. We've got the miracle of this exorcism and then we have the reactions. That's it. That's basically the whole passage. We're going to walk through it and look at The miracle itself, what Jesus is doing and to whom he's doing it to. And then the response, the response of the man, the response of those who witnessed it. And then we'll draw some conclusions for ourselves. Notice there in verse 26, Luke does what he always does. He begins by setting the scene, says they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, that is across the lake from Galilee. And so picture in your mind, this is right after Jesus has calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee that we looked at last week, also known as Lake Gennesaret. And so now they're on the, the other side, that is the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Mark tells us in his uh, account of this that this was near the Decapolis, which was a group of 10 cities aligned together, mainly filled with Gentiles. So Jesus has gone from a predominantly Jewish region. Now he's in a Gentile region. How do we know that from our passage itself? Well, you'll notice there's a bunch of pigs. You typically don't have pig farmers around Jewish people. That's typically a sign that you're in a Gentile region. Jesus hasn't Hardly gotten out of the boat and immediately he encounters this man who is just devastated with demons. Now, Jesus has encountered people before in Luke's gospel who have a demon, but nothing like this man. Verse 27 to 29, Luke, Dr. Luke, who has a medical background here, he gives us some specifics about what's going on. In this man, And I just have to say, this has to be one of the most pitiful, that is full of pity, descriptions of any human being in the Gospels. And perhaps in the whole Bible. Just listen to what Luke tells us. It says, for a long time, he had not lived in a house. You see that? But among tombs. So this demonized man lived among the dead. Tombs were burial chambers that were carved out of rocks in the hillside. And you would, a Jewish person wouldn't hang out in a tomb or a graveyard like that because being around the dead makes one ceremonially unclean. So this is a defiling place. This man lives horribly, miserably, all alone in a graveyard. Luke also says... It also says that this demon has seized this man. You see that he was not only a danger to other people, he was a danger to himself. It says he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So he's got the word there for bonds. He's got feet, shackles, and he's also got other chains, but, but he's so strong that he can break them. And these demons are driving him this way and that. Mark adds this little detail. Listen to this. Mark chapter five, verse five. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, the man was always screaming and cutting himself with stones. He's just screaming in agony. He's committing violence even against Himself, torturing himself the man was violent according to Matthew's account he was so strong and so violent we're told in Matthew's account nobody even went around there they didn't want to even see the guy because he was so threatening so he has this satanically demonically inspired strength nobody could subdue him he was bound physically and he was bound spiritually you see that? Physically, he's bound and he's bound spiritually. So, this man is a monster. This is somebody that you would envision in a horror movie. And Dr. Luke tells us he had no clothes for a long time. He's literally exposed to the elements. He's, he's, a, he, he's incredibly strong, he's violent. He's naked. He's dangerous. He's self-destructive. And he spends his miserable life wailing and screaming in the graveyard. Cyril of Alexandria, one of the church fathers, Alexandria, Egypt. This is what he said about this guy. He said, quote, in great misery, this man wandered the graves of the dead in utter wretchedness, leading a disgraceful, destitute, and deprived existence. But this strong man is about to meet someone stronger. Notice he's about to meet somebody who's mightier, not only than the storm on the sea, but mightier than all the demons of hell. When the demonized man sees Jesus, you look right there in your Bible, verse 27, excuse me, verse 28, when he saw Jesus he screams. He cries out with a loud voice. And the reason he's crying out, Luke tells us, is because Jesus has just commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. That's why he responds that way. He begins to cry out. He falls down before Jesus, prostrate before the Savior. He falls down at his feet and screams. Well, the, the unclean spirit controlling his vocal cords screams. What have you to do with me? And then notice this phrase, Jesus, son of the most high God. You see that now in the last week's passage, what question did the disciples ask after the calming of the sea? They cried out to one another. Who is this? Who is this? And the answer Luke gives comes out of the mouth of a demon. Jesus, son of the most high God. One thing you notice throughout the Bible, demons always recognize Jesus. They're fallen angels. They've known the son of God since he created them. And they also have good eschatology. Notice, I beg you, do not torment me. Do you see that? These guys have been torturing this man and now they're begging, don't torment me. Um, he says in verse 30, what is your name? He said, legion for many demons had entered him. The word legion, you know this, if you look in your footnotes, the word legion originally meant a thousand soldiers. But by the time of Caesar, you had probably around six thousand soldier Roman soldiers were in what we call a legion. We know from Mark's gospel that there's 2,000 pigs that we're going to hear about in a minute. The point isn't a certain number. The point seems to be this. There were many demons in this man, perhaps thousands of them in this man. We've met people in the gospels that have one demon. We've met someone, Mary Magdalene, who had seven. This man has thousands It's to provoke us to understand how pitiful this man is. This mighty host of hell that are in this man, they begin to beg, verse 31, and they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. That is, Matthew adds, have you come here to torment us before the time? That's what I mean by eschatology. The demons know there's a day of judgment coming when they and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. They've got perfect Christology. They know exactly who Jesus is, and they know that there's a day coming when he's going to destroy them eternally. Matthew 25, 41, it's a, a place of eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels, Jesus says. Did you also notice demons are afraid of hell? Something to think about. Jesus doesn't cast these demons into the abyss yet. Instead, he casts them into a herd of swine, a large herd of pigs. Do you see that? Verse 32. They begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Unclean spirits go into these unclean animals, these pigs. And can't you hear as you read through this, the absolute authority of Jesus and all this. They beg him, they beg him. He gives them permission. Notice verse 33. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now, why did they do this? What, what's going on here? Why did the pigs suddenly do this? Well, we're not told. We're not told specifically. We know that throughout the Gospels, demons are destructive. That's what they do. Their, their father is the devil, right? He loves to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, in Revelation, you've got this description of Abaddon, which is the father of demons, and, and his name is destruction. That's what demons do. They destroy and mar what God has made good. Now, I realize when we think about these pigs rushing into the water and drowning, some of you are thinking about all the bacon that was lost. And that weighed heavily on my heart as well this week. Amen. Amen. Thank you. But don't miss the main point. I know you're thinking about bacon right now, so I probably shouldn't have said that. But throw that to the side. We read earlier in Matthew 12. What is Jesus doing? Why is he demonstrating this? In this such a way, this is a demonstration when he casts out this demon, that he is the king, that his kingdom has drawn near, that he is here to overthrow the kingdom of this world, namely the kingdom of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He's the strong man who's come to bind up this strong man. Jesus Christ is mightier than all the demons of hell and I love biblical theology and I was thinking about is there any other time in the Bible where you had a miracle on the sea followed by God's enemies being cast into the sea and destroyed I can think of one if you don't know what it is come and talk to me afterwards I've got a book I want to give you Jesus Christ is making it crystal clear To anyone who will listen, to any Israelite, to anyone who will listen, there is a far greater occupying force in Israel than the Romans. You have a much bigger problem, first century Israel, than the Romans. There is an occupying force of the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and you can't do anything to get rid of them. But I can. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's showing that he has might even in the spiritual realm. He's just demonstrated his power and authority over the natural world and now over the spiritual world as well. So fix this scene into your minds. The Holy One of Israel meets this man, this nightmare of a man who's been engulfed with unclean spirits. Who's living among unclean tombs. Who's surrounded by those in an unclean occupation. All in an unclean Gentile territory. And Jesus rescues this poor man. Jesus proclaims liberty to this man who is in captive. And he sends these demons into the pig's who then take a swine dive into the lake. Now, what do we, what, what happened? I mean, just imagine seeing this. What do you, what happens? Well, at the end of the passage, this is where we're gonna spend the rest of our time. You have something amazing. You've got two separate responses to the same data, okay? So sometimes we think, well, if I was there, I would have done this, or I would have spun to that. It's interesting to note these people saw and heard firsthand evidence and testimony of what happened. But you have two differing responses. The response of the man and the response of the villagers and the herdsmen and the people who were around this, this whole area. And secondly, I want you to pay attention to this. Both groups, the man and the people, they both make A request. And Jesus gives both people, both groups, a a surprising answer to their request that we need to pay attention to. Okay, let me show you from the Bible. Look at verses 34 down to verse 37. Notice the first response and request that comes from the people. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they did what all of us would do. They ran, they fled, they got out of there. And they told, just imagine 2,000 pigs going down into the sea. They fled, they told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened, to verify. Is what they're saying true? Is that, did that really happen? And they came to Jesus and notice, here's the first piece of evidence. The pigs are all gone, but then notice this. There was the man from whom the demons had gone. This is Luke's underscoring. It's the same man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed. Notice that little word healed. You want to underline that in your Bible. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. There's the request. Here's the reason for they were seized with great fear. And then notice the surprising response of Jesus. So he got into the boat and returned. This is shocking. Can you imagine like this guy, imagine if this guy was your neighbor, I mean, I know some of you have neighbors that you don't care for. Imagine if this dude was your neighbor. Talk about the worst neighbor ever, right? Imagine finding out that this worst of all neighbors is now healed. He's in his right mind. He's 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 healed. He's fine now. You would think you would respond with gratitude, with joy, with thanksgiving. This is wonderful. But that's not how they respond. Just like the disciples on the sea. They respond with fear. Did you see that? And notice this, they beg Jesus to get out of there. The word beg, that's the same verb that the demons used earlier. They were begging to depart. The villagers are begging Jesus to depart. They saw evidence of Jesus's power displayed in this helpless man who had been saved They heard what Jesus had done and they were utterly terrified and they said, leave, just leave. They would rather have the former demon possessed man as their neighbor. And so they begged Jesus to get out of there. We don't know why. Maybe it was the financial loss. Maybe they said, you know what? This Jesus guy's bad for the pig industry. We need to get him out of here. I don't know. All I know is this. Jesus has just told a parable called the parable of the sower. And one of the things that chokes out the word of God is a love of riches. So maybe that was a factor here. And this also communicates to us that if you love money more than people, that's not just sinful. It's demonic. So they make a shocking statement. Here's their request. Hey, Jesus, leave, please. And here's the other shocking thing. Jesus did what they requested. They asked the eternal son of God made flesh, the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah of God, to leave. And based on my reading of the Gospels, he will go to the Decapolis, other parts of the Decapolis. He will never come back here. He comes this one time. And he will never set foot again in this place because he does what they asked him to do. J.C. Ryle said this, quote, of all states of soul into which we can fall, none is so fearful as to be let alone. You ever thought about that? The worst thing that could happen to you is for God to leave you alone. It ought to be our daily prayer that Christ never leave us to ourselves. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to listen to me. Today, if you hear the Lord Jesus speaking to you through this mediocre sermon, if you hear the voice of the Savior speaking to you, do not harden your heart, but respond in faith and repentance and belief Today, today, because you're not promised that you will ever hear from him again. Be careful what you ask for. Don't put him off. Don't refuse him. Respond today. That's the first response. I want you to notice the second one and then we'll be done. Verses 38 and 39, Jesus gives us a response and a request from the man that he has just healed. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone. That's Luke's constant description of this man. He begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus, interesting, sent him away. So what was his request? Lord Jesus, let me be with you. Let me go with you. Let me be with your disciples. I mean, he's a new Christian, right? He's all alone. It's not a a dumb request, right? I want to be with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Shocking. No, you cannot be with me. Notice what he does. Jesus sent him away saying, verse 39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So a few comments. He wants to go with Jesus, but then Jesus says, no, he sends him back to his home. We're told earlier he was from the city. So he sent him back to one of the cities there in the Decapolis. To bear witness to what the Lord had done for him. Jesus said no to this man's request. And you got to wonder why. So this is the kind of thing, when you read the Bible, and sisters, you need to stop and read it slowly enough that you stop and you ponder questions. If you go out on a date with your wife and you never ask questions about how she's doing or how the kids are doing. Or how work is going. You're not going to learn anything else, right? You want to grow in a relationship by asking questions. Asking questions is how you get to know someone better. And when you read the Bible, you should be constantly asking questions. Why did Jesus say no? What could be the motivation on the heart of Christ to say you're not coming with us? You're going back home to the Decapolis. Here's why I think you can test whether you think this is valid or not. Jesus has just shown mercy to this man. He he got in the boat and came to this specific spot to have mercy on this man. And now, having just been rejected by the Gerasenes, he's showing mercy to the Gerasenes. Because he's leaving them a living, breathing Walking billboard that testifies to his mercy and grace. He's showing mercy on the people who just asked him to leave and he will not leave himself without a witness in that land. Isn't that wonderful? He loves his neighbors and Jesus loves his enemies. And so he says, he says, go back to your people and tell them everything the Lord has done for you. I mean, this is the first missionary sent out by Jesus in the gospel of Luke. What kind of candidate? I mean, I love this guy applied for the IMB, right? What are your qualifications? Well, I was a naked demon possessed maniac living in tombs. And then I met Jesus and he sent me out to testify to his grace. That's wonderful. And so instead of taking him with him, he doesn't do what he wants. He says, actually, I got something else I want you to focus on. I want you to go and tell your fam- your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors what the Lord has done. This is what his testimony would look like. I was in the most desperate of situations. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't do anything. I was powerless. But then Jesus came and he saved me. Maybe over lunch today. You can share with one another, not about football or about holiday stuff or about politics, God forbid, not about politics. Share something with one another about your testimony. How would you answer that question? What has Jesus done for you? How could you share that with one another? I guarantee you, if you won't share that with one another in the church, You'll never open your mouth and share it with someone who doesn't know Christ. So some of you have known each other for a while. You may not even know the other person's story. I can tell you this. One of the great things about being a pastor is getting to hear people's stories, getting to hear their testimonies of how Jesus met them and how Jesus saved them. Do you have a story to tell? Maybe that's a question you should ask. If you had to stand up right now and answer the question, what has God done for you in Christ? What would you say? You notice that little before and after context. Sometimes we think about what's a testimony. Well, it's sharing who you were, what you were like, and what you're like now in Christ. And sometimes people dunk on that and say, that's stupid, that's very formulaic. It's actually right from the Bible. So I'm not, I'm not making this up. Let me show you the whole passage is structured. Luke is intentionally structuring the whole passage to contrast what the man was like before he met Jesus and what he's like now. Here it is briefly. Verse 27. He had many demons, but now all of them are gone. Verse 35. The man was wearing no clothes, but now he's fully clothed. The man had no home, but the tombs. And now Jesus says, return to your home. Verse 39. Earlier, the man fell down before Jesus and he screamed. But now he's sitting at Jesus's feet, which is the position of a disciple. Right. That's where's Mary sitting in two chapters at Jesus's feet. And he's sitting there in peace. Verse 29, he was utterly out of control when he was seized by demons. But now verse 35, he's in a right mind. He's sober minded. And earlier he was begging to depart from the presence of Jesus. But now he wants to be with Jesus. Verse 38. Do you see that Isn't that glorious? That's what he's showing us. This is the difference Jesus has made in this man's life. And so I ask you in this portrait of salvation, it's not just a healing. Our Bibles translate that the man was healed. And that's a fine translation. Every major translation says healed. So I'm not I don't know more than your translators. I simply want to point out that the word down in in, the word that's that's there in verse 36, that's rendered as healed. It's the same word for salvation. It's the same word for saved. This is a portrait, a picture of salvation. Healing, yes, but salvation has come to this man. That's why Jesus commissions him to go. What does this have to do with us? I was reminded of this in C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy. I've been reading Lewis, Surprised by Joy. This is what he says. This is when Lewis is talking about his coming to believe first in uh, uh, theism and then later on to Christianity. This is what Lewis said, quote, uh, this is as a young atheist, he was examining his own life. This is what he said, quote, what I found appalled me. I found a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, and a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. Take some time and think about that. Think about who you were before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That could be said of all of us. You might be thinking, wait a second, pastor. I was never that bad. In fact, some of you, when I started talking about testimonies, you checked out. Because you grew up in the church. You had Christian parents who loved you and taught you the gospel at a young age. You had a boring testimony. And we all want all of our kids to have boring testimonies. Amen. Amen. But you're thinking, I don't have this guy's testimony. But I want you to think about even the way Lewis described. He said, my name was Legion. I wonder what he was getting at. If there's any application that we draw from this passage, it's clearly verse 39. Go and tell. Go and, I love this, proclaim. Go and proclaim how much God has done for you in Christ. That's the application. So, do you have a testimony of God's grace to share? Do you share it with others? What obstacle this morning is standing against you in opening your mouth? It could be fear of man, it could be pride. Maybe you haven't given it much thought. Maybe you need to be reminded like I do. Maybe you need to be rebuked like I do. That it's not just about getting your work done. It's about reaching out to people who are lost. And maybe you're thinking, I don't have an exciting testimony. Well, listen, Christian, you didn't necessarily live among the dead. But what does the Bible say about you? The Bible says, according to Ephesians chapter two, you were dead. You didn't just live among the dead. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And the Bible doesn't say that you were infested with demons. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, your life was walking according to the spirit of the power of of the air, Satan himself. You were a disciple. Of the king of demons. And we can tell others. But God had mercy on me. He delivered me from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his death and resurrection, I have redemption, the forgiveness of all of my sins. We can tell others that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We can tell others that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. We can tell others that there's no sin that's too black. There's, there's, no, there's no transgression that is too big that he cannot cover by his blood and by his righteousness. He has forgiven us all of our trespasses. By canceling the debt that stood against us on the cross. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ took our sins on himself and he paid the penalty that we should have paid but haven't and can't. And we're told in Colossians 2 he did something glorious. On the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places Satan himself. He has no power over you if you're in Christ. He triumphed over them in the cross. And three days later, he overthrew the grave by rising from the dead. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ still has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so by his grace and for his glory, let's be a people who are able and willing to share with one another But also with those around us. The great and wonderful things. That he has done. Later on in the Gospels. Jesus and the disciples. They show up in another part of the Decapolis. And I've always been struck by this little detail. Mark mentions this. When they get to the Decapolis. Decapolis this Gentile region that they'd never been before. People approach them. People who are infested with demons, people who have need of healing. It's always struck me. I wonder how they heard about that. I think it was because this man, he was faithful to do what the Lord called him to do. He proclaimed throughout the whole city. What Jesus had done for him. By God's grace, may that be the same testimony that we give. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for eternal life. And we're thankful that. You tell us in your word that in the coming ages of eternity, we will make known not only what you have done for us, but you will make known to us even more riches of your glory and grace in Christ towards us. It takes an eternity because there's so much there. So, Father, help us to live in light of eternity. And we pray that just as someone opened their mouth to share with us. That out of an abundance of love for you and for our neighbors. That you'd give us boldness and opportunities and wisdom, even this week, to testify to your redeeming love. We ask this in Jesus, our great Savior's name. Amen.